Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, Harvest KL. We're continuing today in our study of Philippians, looking at Philippians 2, 19 through 30. This second chapter of Philippians, and in fact, the whole book of Philippians, and of course, the whole Bible, is so rich in instruction, and instruction specifically for our church and for us as individuals within our church. This passage, it sets out two great examples of devoted servants of God, Timothy and Epaphroditus. I've titled my talk today, Rise, Let Us Go From Here in Christ. He sends workers. God sends us out into the world, and he also sends uh, workers to us. This exchange among and between Christians around the world helps us to grow in love and gain greater understanding of Christ's work in the global church. At Harvest KL, we get to experience this in a very unique way. Our congregation comes from all over the world, really expresses God's diversity in his church. And as co-laborers, we must be proven servants, devoted to glorifying God, and be genuine in our concern for others, as often our calling requires great sacrifice. Let's pray. God, we come before you as the maker of heaven and earth, the king of all kings. Help us, God, to understand your word. Help us to understand your call on our lives. Help us to be transformed by you. Please let my words not hinder our understanding of your word today, but help us as a church. In Jesus' name, we pray. So here at Harvest KL, every Sunday at the end of our service, we remind you that you are loved and you are sent. It's part of what we believe as a church, that we are a people loved by an amazing God who sent his son down to the earth. And although he was fully God, he died on the cross for us. Because of that work, we are adopted into his family and are amazingly loved. But we're also sent out. The Great Commission from Matthew 28 tells us to go make disciples of all nations. This sending out is part of our six pursuits here at Harvest KL. The final three pursuits, purposeful discipleship, courageous evangelism, and strategic church church planning, prepare us and then move us to teach about the love of Christ and then multiply our church by planning new churches. This is also connected to our theme for 2021, which is, comes from John 4.30. It says, rise, let us go from here. All of these have the sense of movement, of going out, of sending, of receiving. And God uses all sorts of ways and all sorts of circumstances to make those movements happen. The Bible is filled with stories of God sending his people. You'll remember Moses 
and the burning bush. In that passage from Exodus, we see God sending Moses out to lead his people. In Exodus 3, in verse 10, it says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of, Israel, out of Egypt. In verse 12, he says, But I will be with you, and this shall be my sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then again in verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who, who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said this to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. We also see this in the book of Jonah, where Jonah is also sent out. We hear the story in the book of Jonah about the prophet Jonah, where he is called by God to go to Nineveh and prophesy, prophesy disaster because of that city's excessive wickedness. Jonah doesn't want to go. So he rushes down to Joppa, jumps on the, the next ship, and takes passage. And that carries him in the opposite direction of where God had called him to go. He's thinking he can escape God. But a storm strikes the ship, and in spite of all the crew is trying to do, they can't right the ship, and it shows signs of breaking up and floundering. So lots are cast, and Jonah confesses that he is actually, his presence on board is, is what has caused this storm. And at his request, he's thrown overboard. Now God appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And he stays in that fish for three days, and three nights. And he prays for deliverance and finally is spit out onto dry land. And again, the command is heard, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes to Nineveh and prophecies against the city. And it causes the king and all the inhabitants to repent. And our passage today also has this movement, this sending, this receiving, that is characteristic of so many books of the Bible. I want to quickly review where we've been in this chapter so far. So two weeks ago, we had Ben Miller, who taught on Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And he talked about cultivating a culture of humility based on Paul's example of humility, in chains, suffering to advance the gospel. He called on us to align our lives with the gospel so that we may stand united to advance God's word side by side. He also encouraged us to adopt two heart attitudes to be a servant. One is the humble selflessness which is a real change in our attitude. The second is humble service, which is a change in our, in our action. And then last week we heard from Larry Loon on Philippians 12 through 18, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. And Larry encouraged us to stand firm in our faith by working out our salvation and doing uh, everything without complaining or arguing and to hold out for the, for the word of life. Hold on to the word of life. And that brings us to our passage today, which I will read. 
If you can follow along with, with me in your Bibles, it's from Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we're going to walk through this passage together, trying to pull out these characteristics of servants and workers that God sends out. We'll focus on three main characteristics that these proven servants have. One is selfless, others-oriented service. Two is fearless risk-taking. And three is a devotion to Christ that underpins it all. And after going through uh, this passage, we will also have an important update for you on Harvest KL, and then a challenge for our church for this next month. To begin with, we could easily pass over the, these passages as just Paul passing along details of travel plans. But in doing so, we'd miss these important characteristics that the Holy Spirit wants to highlight for us today. And this passage sets out examples and models of the main argument that's found throughout Philippians, which calls us to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened, and do it all for the glory of Christ. It also highlights some of the specifics, the details. These things like doing nothing from selfishness, acting in humility, to counting others more significant than yourselves. All of this leads to unity, and it leads to others-oriented life of service, and it leads to service to Christ and service to others around us. So why is Paul choosing Timothy and Epaphroditus? He says there's no one like Timothy. He has these characteristics that make him unique, where he stands out from other leaders. He has the proven worth as a servant. He is humble. He counts others more significant than himself. Epaphroditus is another example. He almost died. He risked his life as a servant for others. 
Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples of all that came before. And that is why these passages are so much more than just travel plans. They're personal examples that are meant to have a powerful effect on us. We are to imitate such servants and to be like them. So let's talk about these three characteristics. First, we have this selfless, others-oriented service. This is really the theme of the whole book, and we see it clearly in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, where it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count yourself Sorry, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And we, as sinners, tend to look for our own interests. We tend to be selfish. And other leaders in the early church also exemplified that, that selfishness or self-focused life. They did not care for our, for our church or for the faith of others. Um, that really leads to that eternal joy. It's this idea that we should live for what Christ died for, for the everlasting good of others, which is righteousness and their faith. In this passage, we see Timothy described by Paul as there is no one like him. He is genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, unlike other leaders who seek their own interests. Timothy, again, has his proven worth. He's childlike. He's a servant. He's obedient. He's served in the gospel. And therefore, Paul says, I will send him. So we can also see other examples of this throughout the Bible. Even Paul sometimes points to himself. And later in Philippians, in, in Philippians 3, 7, uh, 3, verse 17, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And also in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, it reads, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, and this is Jesus, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself to take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This, this is about self-denial, not being wrapped up in seeking our own interests, but taking up our cross, risking losing our life, which leads to us saving our life. Living for others living for Christ. And remember, Paul offered himself as a, to be poured out as a drink offering, to die. But Paul is glad and re rejoices because it has resulted in the Philippians' faith. His suffering has resulted in their faith, denying himself. But it's also important to remember, it's not just serving others, but it's serving others in love. So from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, we see, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. 
and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First in verse 24, we see the example of, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then further down in, in uh, the next paragraph, in verse 33, it says, just as I tried to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The purpose here is that others may be saved, not just their good or doing good, but that they may be saved in their knowledge of Christ. So, and of course, we have our ultimate example. It's Christ is our number one example of living this way. So Christ, though fully God, emptied himself, became man, became a servant, humbled himself, became obedient. He was fearless, and that took him to the death on the cross. And this is what we want for our people. Romans 15, 1 through 3, talks about the example that Christ is for us. Starting in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. So let's be like Timothy and Paul and Jesus in our selfish devotion to others for the good of others taking care of their physical needs over our own and leading them in their knowledge of God and the work that Christ has done on the cross. The second characteristic we want to talk about today is the fearlessness, the fearless risk-taking that's really exemplified by Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was, uh, as we read in the passage, was ill near to death. And the Philippians heard about this, and Epaphroditus was distressed because they were worried about him. And God stepped in and had mercy on him. So Paul would not have sorrow after sorrow. So Paul says he's sending him so that they may rejoice and they may receive him in joy. What can we learn from all this? And why is it necessary or, uh, to send Epaphroditus? So Epaphroditus is longing for the Philippians. He's distressed because they knew he was ill. They heard he was sick. He's not worried for himself, but he's, he's worried because they were worried and the worry that it, it had caused them. And this is exactly what we've been talking about. This is where he's looking out for others' interests over his own interest. And it's looking out for others with this different mindset, this mindset of Christ and Paul's and Timothy and Epaphroditus where your loss is others' gain, despite the cost to me. It if it benefits my brother or sister, yes, is the answer. Not worried about their own health, but worried that others are worried, risking their lives in order to serve Christ. So in John 15, verse 13, we hear this great, uh, this great principle that we find in the Bible. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. God had mercy. 
Epaphroditus was sick. He almost died, and God stepped in and restored his health for the benefit of Paul and for the benefit of the Philippians and for the benefit of the church. It's private, limited interests at the expense of others versus seeking the joy in the interests of others, laying down our lives for others so that they might be saved. Let's live for that kind of joy. If God is the one who healed him, it's important to note that he also had the power to stop it in the first place. And this brings us to another important principle that we find throughout the Bible, but particularly uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which reads, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God is limiting Paul's sorrow because he knows exactly what Paul can, can endure. Paul amazingly could endure the uh, suffering in, a jail, in jail, suffering uh, other leaders letting him down, suffering with his friends dying. But Epaphroditus, that would be bring sorrow upon sorrow. And God knew that that was the limit of Paul's endurance. So God spared him. So in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, we see, we, it reads like this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. And that's Paul talking and talking about an affliction that was upon him. And again, this points to this principle of God knowing exactly where our endurance ends. Now, he might push us past where we think our endurance ends, but we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. We have to trust that that in the, the, the grace of God to uh, help us to endure suffering. And that at the point when we could endure no longer, we can cry out to God and we can, we can ask him. And he knows and we have to trust in him in the midst of it, trust in his sovereign goodness and that he will give us that grace. The final characteristic that I wanna talk about uh, is our motivation for taking risk and living for others, which is properly in for the glory of God, in devotion to Christ, to see him glorified and to be his devoted servants. So in this passage, and actually throughout Philippians, you see these three little words, in the Lord. It occurs nine times in Philippians and actually three times even within our, our two paragraphs today. And we're prone to pass over these things like in, in, in the Lord as Bible speak, we just, we pass it right by and we don't really think about it. But these are really important words because it's really about the motivation of everything that we do in the Lord, in reliance on, on the Lord, in conformity to the Lord, in agreement with the Lord to be of one mind in fellowship with the Lord because you are in the Lord, to hope in the Lord, to have expectations from the Lord and in response to the Lord or in deference to the Lord. 
Everything we do is to advance the gospel. It's for Jesus Christ, to show God's love to those around us. So that brings us to the end of the passage. We, we as your elders, wanted to use some time today to give you an update about where we are as a church. As most of you know, our pastor, Nate Newell, left at the end of 2020 to go back to the United States. And at the same time, we also lost our worship director, John. We lost our director for uh, youth and children, Bethany. And then later in 2021, Gapreet also stepped down from his role at the church. We went very quickly from a church staff of five to a church of one, a church staff of one. Now, Miriam has been an incredible servant and uh, she's been faithful. She's done incredible work keeping our church going. We've also had faithful volunteers filling in, running the various ministries in the church. But it was our hope and prayer and it, even uh, the expressed desire of our church, of our church body, that we would be served by a pastor. And so we've been exploring our networks. We've been exploring seminaries, other friends of our church, of the church, leaving no stone unturned, looking for a pastor who would, who would be called to serve us. We have had several promising candidates, but unfortunately from each one of them, that search has not been fruitful. And we've had, um, uh, that has left us in a spot where um, as the pastor search committee and as your elders, we're at a little bit of a loss for what to do next. So while we have been able to continue to run our small groups and we've been continue that, continuing to have our weekly service online, Capri and I, as your elders, have questioned whether we are doing you a disservice as a church. It's our view that once again, very much like in the end of last year, that we're at a crossroads for our church. We need to decide what's in our congregation's best interest what's in your best interest, and how are you best served as disciples of Christ? So we see many possibilities, similar to where we were last year, when shortly before Nate left. Do we close the doors of Harvest KL and recommend you out to other churches, similar Bible-believing churches here in Kuala Lumpur? Do we partner with another church and merge together uh, to do the work uh, of Christ in Kuala Lumpur? Or do we partner with some outside ministry to provide the spiritual support necessary for Harvest KL to continue? Or does God provide a miraculous answer to our, our request for a pastor? In our discussions with Nate and Larry, as we were talking through uh, all of this, we have decided to spend a month praying we're going to go from today until December 6th in prayer for God to provide very clear direction to us, us as a church, us as your elders, us as a pastor search committee. And we need each of you to commit to prayer, daily prayer, for his direction for us. Will he send a devoted servant like Timothy or Epaphroditus? Has he been, been preparing us to be sent out into Kuala Lumpur as his devoted 
or self and selfless servants? Or is there some other solution that he will provide that we just cannot see right now? In early December, we will gather as a church body to hear what God has said to each one of us. We, will, we are also deeply aware during this month that this can, has great power to divide us as a church uh, and as a congregation. And it's our desire to, to remain united and remain united in our hope. And our hope is in Christ. Immediately following the service, in lieu of elder-led prayer today, we will have a time to answer any questions you might have. And we'll begin our month of praying by praying together as a congregation. And we really want you to join us. Our ultimate goal is that each member of Harvest KL lives our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, exemplifying the characteristics that we've talked about today, not being selfish, being humble, having the interests of others, taking risk, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, fearlessly striving side by side, for the cause of the gospel. May it be so.